It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. Welcome to the podcast, the nature and countryside podcast from BBC Countryfile magazine. It's your chance for a bit of rural escape whenever you need it. My name is Fergus Collins and I'm the editor of the magazine and host of this podcast. In this episode, we're heading back to September, when I left my home here among the hills of the Brecon Beacons, to head east into Cambridgeshire to discover the joys of farmland wildlife and the challenges it faces. Before I start, I should just mention it's a great help for us if you're able to leave some feedback or ratings for this podcast on iTunes or whatever podcast provider you use. Thank you so much. I'm in Cambridgeshire. It's a beautiful, sunny morning, clear sunny morning in late September. And I'm off to visit a very special farm and a very special farm manager. It's the RSPB's flagship, Hope Farm, which is 20 years old. Well, 20 years old since the RSPB bought it and transformed it to try to show the world that you can farm with wildlife and still be profitable. So on these broad, flat lands of Cambridgeshire, I'm going to head there now to meet farm manager Georgie Bray, who is just 25 years old, manages this incredibly important property uh, which can help and I'm hoping to find out what she and her farm workers have been doing to help farmland wildlife that's not been doing very well over the last 30 40 years Brilliant. so how many people work here um the... at the moment it's just me wow <laughs> but um we've had well we have Derek You're the one who... employee on Hope Farm well, we've got the contractors, Contra- okay. so that's, that's only half true. Now, our contractors are... You work here, you manage the farm. Yeah. And you have contractors to do some of the... Well, they do the farm work, right. so we just organise it between us. Sort of the larger scale decisions, like, oh, OK, what's, what are we doing with our crop rotation, putting the cover crops in, putting organic matter on and stuff. We make those decisions between us, but then it's up to Martin to juggle when it's... So who's Martin? Is he the, He's the contractor. The head contractor. Then the conservation work is very much sort of, right, OK, this week, Martin, we need this doing. Right. Or this month, this is the plan of things that need to get done to look after the seed mixes, the hedgerows, the wildflower margins. So, um, we're, so we're walking along a sort of hedge track, sort of an overgrown hedgerow type, and then there's Typical sort of Cambridgeshire, quite large flat fields. Um, yeah. what, what are you growing here? In, um, apart from wildlife, mostly typical Cambridgeshire arable crops, really. So it's heavy clay soil, and it is best suited to cereal crops. Okay. But when we bought the farm, that would just be wheat, mm-hmm. and now the cereal crops include winter barley, spring barley, sometimes spring wheat. 
millet's sort of a cereal. And then this year we're also going to try growing naked spring oats as well. And what's special about naked spring oats? They don't have the husk on them. Right, okay. So you know if you... Oh, does that mean they're easier to process? Then? Or, yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah, and they are actually, or will be, all being well, sold under our Fair to Nature label, which says that it was produced on a wildlife-friendly farm, packaged up and sold as bird food. Oh, okay. So not hu- uh, you're producing human food here as well, though? Yes, yes. yeah, yeah. Um, so the wheat and the barley, that'll go... Barley, if it's not, so long as it's up to scratch, yeah. will go for human consumption, as will the all-seed rape. You grow winter beans, spring beans, and we have tried a few other niche crops as well, but they're not so well suited to this farm. Um, but we try and keep it really diverse, so if one, we have a bad year for one crop, it's... It's alright because you've got all the other things out okay, the farm. Okay, so you well. spread, spread the risk. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, how big is the farm then? What sort of size is it? Uh, it's 180 here. hectares. Okay, is that typical sort of size for a Cambridgeshire, this, this part of Cambridgeshire? Or? It is, it's. But the sizes of farms or management on farms, it has been increasing. Yeah. So where. So the size of the farm is being, farms are growing in size. Yeah, yeah or the yeah. management of them. So um, it's becoming less typical, particularly for around here, for farms to be managed by lots. Say you'd have a, a farm this size next to a few other farms, all managed by separate families and businesses. They're starting to amalgamate, or kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So lapwings going over. Yeah, seven, seven lapwings. A sort of flash in the sun, they're absolutely amazing. I haven't seen that oh, things this year, so that's it. They're oh. so great to have yeah. those back. Oh. Yeah, and they, oh. they arrive just for the winter, is it? The, the no, we have they... had them breeding here. Okay. Um, oh, it's really exciting to see that. I, yeah. I, I will stop and get excited about things. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's brilliant. They're... It's a beautiful sunny day, so they really flashed in the light there. I love it when you have a big flock of them, and it's when they turn, mm. they sort of disappear, then come back again. Quite a few birds like um like corn buntings decline massively linnets have it's harder to get farmers really or get people really enthusiastic about those little brown because jobs, they're, they're yeah. all little brown birds whereas a lapwing oh, oh wow starlings starlings yeah, yeah. flocks of starlings going over good it's gonna be a good day <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow it's incredible they've all yeah, just come to say numbers. hello I think. well let's talk about some of those things that you do then so what is yeah. it what is it that you do to grow wildlife i mean there's some lovely bushy hedges here um, so we're actually this is a field margin by the look of things we've got a sort of very yeah. very sort of finely tilted field flat as a pancake gray brown soil but on the what we're walking through is grassy herby flowery yeah we try and just make sure across the farm that we have a diversity of different habitats, mm. diversity of different crops as well. Because the crops themselves, they are a really good habitat for wildlife, so the more different ones are those oh, Really? Got. Okay, that's interesting. So crops actually can offer something. There's a lot of species that rely on farmland to survive. That's why we have the uh, 19 farmland bird species. Yeah need farmland to survive for all if not at least part of their life cycle so skylarks they are heavily adapted to breed on cereal crops spring cereals or even sugar beets um, so they like it 
That's where yes. they nest in amongst the sort of open, open land. Yes, exactly. And it's the same with corn buntings as well, just kind of in the name. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. Yellow hammers, they feed off of the cereal seeds, so in overwinter stubbles, or now we provide seed mixes instead. So it's not a seed mix ahead that we're looking at, because that's, uh, that's yes. like sunflowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sunflowers on the horizon. Yeah. They're, um, so that's one of our winter bird seed mixes that we plant. It's like something, um, something died in the margin up here. Looks like a, yeah, it looks a like rabbit. a rabbit. Yeah, it is a rabbit. It's been caught by a... It's been fed on. Well, that's somebody's meal. Yeah. <laughs> Across the farm, you, there are different ways that we can get a profit. So, from the crops in the field, that's from selling them after harvest. And then for the things like the winter bird seed mixes, the margins, hedgerow management, and that kind of thing, we receive the money through government support. I see. So at least at the moment. Stewardship schemes. Yes. That, that yeah. currently exist. Okay, yeah, yeah, the stewardship schemes that currently exist. Um, and... Planting a winter bird seed mix like this is, is brilliant at the moment because it's full of pollinator resources where the wildflower margins and everything, they've died down and it's quite hard for late queen bees and things to find pollinator resources in other ways. Yeah. It's starting to produce plenty of seed food for birds um, and then we actually make a reasonable profit off of this as well. So, oh, from the subsidies or from yeah. the... okay. from the subsidies. I mean, there are other... The thing with a lot of these habitats is there are other benefits which you can't just quantify by the amount of money that is put in your account through the subsidy. Sure. If you're helping to keep queen bees and late pollinators going for this time of year, there'll be more to help pollinate your crops in the following year. That's a really hard one for people to get their heads around sometimes because it can't be put on the balance sheet. No. You don't get the crops if you've wiped out the pollinators. And, uh, you could say, oh, well, things like wheat, they don't need pollinators as such. But then if you've got beneficial insects that help to control insect pests, that reduces the reliance on insecticides, um, which our species work as they should anyway. Yeah. Resistance is a massive issue with those. It's, I mean, it's just as much of a problem as antibiotic resistance. So do you use pesticides and herbicides on the farm? We do use pesticides, but not insecticides. Right. And haven't done for two years. So what's the difference between pesticide and insects? Obviously insects are insects, but pesticide, um, is it a sort of... Pesticide is like a general term, so that's herbicides, okay. fungicides, uh, molluscicides. Um, but even when we are using linnets, um, it's rather beautiful. The sun coming through the sunflowers here. You can tell me what yeah. all these plants are in a minute. Oh yeah, I will do. Except for these guys. Yeah. Don't want to talk about those. <laughs> <laughs> are they, what are they? So thistles? No. What are they? I think they are. So thistles. They're all yeah. creeping thistles, perhaps. I'm creeping, sure. Yeah. Um, and then there's some bristly ox tongue along, along around the edge. Um, you don't want those then? Are they a pain? No, no, they are... Well, no, they are one of the banes of management, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's the bristly ox tongue thistles. Um, 
they're really re resistant to a lot of herbicides. They are actually an invasive species. Oh, um, really? They're not a, not a native? No. no. So no. You, you'd use a herbicide on that here? You can mow them and cultivate to control them, but with normal thistles, it's really easy to... You can mow them and then that'll knock them on the head. They won't set seed, whereas these guys just keep growing out from the edge. So you do often have to resort to a herbicide. I see. Um, but they're really... The trouble is once they get into the wildflower margins and things, they can just overtake everything else. So you can just hear the sort of tinkling of linnets. So we're wandering into the... So we've got... This is Gold of Pleasure, which is a really nice... It produces a really nice yellow flower. It's almost like linseed. What did you call it? Gold of... Gold of Pleasure. Gold of Pleasure. Lovely. Yeah. That's a native, is it? Or is it sort of just a... Um, I, no, I think it's a domestic cultivar, to be honest. Right. Um, but each of these pods are full of seeds. So the birds just come down and plunder that, don't Yeah. They? Yeah, so they're sort of like the small seed-eating birds. And then you've got, this is just quinoa. Is it? Okay. Or quinoa. That's um, what it looks like in the, in the, in the wild. It looks sort of yeah. a bit like a head of broccoli, but it's yes. lots of little tiny, tiny little, I guess these are the flowers, aren't they? Yeah, and they, if you came like back in December, these would look much more like what you'd buy. Those little round kind of things that I yeah. tried it's a couple of times. <laughs> exactly. Tastes quite bitter, I think, yeah. actually. You sort of eat, well, I tend to eat them every now and again thinking, this is good for me, I am enjoying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a spear with like a little tip of broccoli on the top and these big kind of raggedy um, spear-shaped leaves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's a little white flower here, is that? That's buckwheat. Buckwheat. Which is brilliant, that seems to... It's another one that we have at home. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it grows really well as well. If Pretty you... little white flowers, little... Um, sort of clumps of white flowers on a mm. delicate ivy-like plant. It's one of these brilliant plants that just seem to, if everything else, if you plant a seed mix and it's really gone to rubbish, if you put buckwheat on it, it'll just grow. So it's a bit of a rescue plant. Right. Um, Do you recommend any of these for home, for gardens and, uh, you know, for people who want, say you had a big garden, which I don't have, but say you had a big garden and you wanted to create a little wildflower seed mix would you yeah. recommend these ones then yeah you could do yeah. and there's grow quinoa in your garden grow quinoa in your garden I, I have no idea what it would taste like if you grew it in your garden <laughs> or what they do to it um but i'm not going to be rude brilliant. about quinoa but lots of things spring to mind yeah yeah <laughs> but here we've got quite a diversity so you've got those and you've got this is fodder radish here fodder radish so um, it's got like green bulbous pods on yeah them. and it's got these really pretty sort of like Small that, purple that's the flowers. fodder radish's flower that little yes so this was purple white flowers about three weeks ago it looked really pretty ah, um, now, now you tell me <laughs> you're just a bit too late I'm afraid <laughs> but there, oh, the I'm sun. trying to look for some phacelia about here's phacelia it still looks really pretty oh that's lovely that's little tufts of um, oh that's very pretty very hard to describe it's like sort of frondy ferny feel to it with the yeah. pink, pink flowers it's like lots of Mono sort of flowers. fingers holding, yeah, holding themselves up better, perhaps better than I could do <laughs> <laughs> but they're great because well there are quite a few people who are avid gardeners who they see this and they go oh for Celia because they yeah. use it as a, a green manure lovely yeah okay so you could have the, you've, got, you've got a bug on your finger there interesting oh I do there's some sort of shield bug a little tiddler 
And now I've just gone and picked the flower that he was having a nice time on. (laughs) 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 You can write write to your farm manager. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Sorry about that, guys. Well, there's a small flock of linnets clearly enjoying themselves, fluttering around and (laughs) coming in and out of the crop the whole time. Yeah. Over on the hedge at the moment. The whole load just dropped down up by the edge of the field here. It's just really lovely to see them. The other day we said I was walking along the top and they're actually they're using this as a cover as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we do put supplementary feed out when this gets to about December and starts to run out of seed food resources, but it still like the quinoa and stuff still stands tall and they feel safe in here. So what's your background, Georgie then? What how did you are you from a farming background? Yes, I grew up on a farm about an hour away from here and then went to university and did zoology and a zoology masters mm-hmm. and then came here as assistant farm so manager you've crossbred your degree with your upbringing yes to create a... i got this <laughs> yeah nice nice gig yeah yeah um, how long have you been working here three years now okay and that's what's the beauty of here is it shows you really can marry the two together like we're not turning the place into a wildlife reserve we're still growing profitable crops and getting the same so the, the farm is profitable hope yes. farm is profitable so that's the key message that mm. how easy is it to talk to other farmers around here for starters because i've driven here across i've driven across leicestershire northamptonshire cambridgeshire and the farms are big the fields are big it feels like there's not a lot of wild space. If you explain the difficulties as well as the benefits of doing it, it makes it more more real mm. and doesn't make it sound like such a fantasy way of saying, oh, you just have, you just have loads of birds. Yeah. You just have loads of... It's because it, it's a lot more than that. And it is... You do have to manage these habitats like a crop. Mm. Even with these massive fields, there are still awkward corners, like the winter bird seed mix we've just walked past it's got a bit of a wobbly edge Mm. it's next to a woodland and it's harder for the tractor to wiggle in and out of that wobbly edge of the field it's easier just to cut it off create a straight line for them yeah and then put a winter bird seed mix and i guess that's an efficiency then in some ways yeah yeah okay and when you talk about it in that kind of language then you start to talk about it as if it is a sensible business strategy so what's a cover crop Um, right at the other end of the farm we've got one Um, Um, what we can do is transport ourselves are we there now oh done (laughs) so here's a cover crop (laughs) Um, it's a crop that you plant and you don't grow it to harvest okay you're literally planting it to keep a green cover on the ground throughout the winter months does that stop wind and so, uh, rain erosion of the soil yeah like okay. yeah it helps to hold on to nutrients so this this is a clay soil here yes and this has just becomes like glue and yeah thick it stuff. turns into an absolute pudding right. if it's been cultivated quite deep in the ground because there's no structure there holding it all together but if you have a cover crop on it and you have all of those roots it sounds mad to say that small plant roots are going to help to hold a tractor up, but they do. 
Really? Because um, they just create a network of sort of mesh or mesh the soil together. Yeah, and it will take years for the soil to build up that resilience. So say in year one of you planting a cover crop, you couldn't then drive a tractor across it in the middle of winter yeah. and expect it to not have any effect on the health of the soil. So we've got research from Rothamsted that has shown the, um, by planting wildflower margins around the edge of a field, you can actually increase the yield in your crop by, and they think that is because you're providing resources for pollinators that then help to pollinate that is amazing your to, field if beans. If you've got some data on that, that's fantastic. Yeah. Just, we've got these strips running through the fields. Yeah. So what we've got are like four, it's one huge field, but it's broken up into four large rectangles. And then there are green or grassy strips. What, what are those? Um, so this is kind of an evolution of that experiment. Yeah. Um, because the wildflower margins, they only seemed to increase the yield on the outside of the crop up oh, so, to 50 metres in. So you're so, taking the wildflowers into the field? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Say how across the farm you want to try and create lots of connectivity, mm. but it's harder when, when you have a 30 hectare field like this to get the connectivity going all the way through. And we know like hoverflies, they really like um, umbellifers, so we've got wild carrot in there. Mm. Um, hoverflies, they're brilliant. They do the predating and the pollinating. This is the thing, I think hoverflies get really overlooked, don't they? Bees, yeah. everyone talks about bees, 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 but hoverflies are like, marvellous. They do both. Yeah. They're brilliant. So this is really interesting. If you plant yeah. flowers, the right sort of mix of flowers, you can increase your yield. I mean, that's what we hope the yeah. answer will be. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I can say that them, it so. creates the connectivity already because we were just walking through and the only parts where I found like hairs across the whole of this field, there were four of them and all of them were in these margins. Uh, okay. And then you do get pollinators using them when the flowers, the wildflowers in your, are in use. But then it's also for things like ground beetles mm. um, that are brilliant at predating on slugs. It can provide a habitat for them as well. This field is like our gold standard potential future farming mm. aspiration where it's had compost spread on it to help with organic matter. We grow cover crops on it and we've got these wildflower margins going through the middle. Um, and then we've compared that to the field just down the hill here, mm. which just has the wildflower margins and still uses cover crops. And then we have the absolute control that just has grass buffers to protect the watercourses, but that's it. That's just a straightforward old fashioned field. Yeah. Um, awesome. Really interesting to see all that. I mean, obviously it's going to be ongoing for a decade, a decade or so. But yes, well, yeah. There's loads and loads of insects here. They're crane flies, aren't they? Yeah. The crane flies. Yeah, this is a, This is another winter bird seed mix, which will be. It has a few thistles in here, which we'd prefer not to. There's, there's darn thistle, thistles. Um, but the purple flowers that you've got on there—that's linseed. Very delicate, but yeah. it's lovely, beautiful. Hey, I'll go and pick one. <laughs> now Ouch. I'm being the bad wildflower. <laughs> it's another one that when it is in flower, it just looks stunning. It's lovely, um, but very delicate. And this yellow, this is the thistle here then, this yellow 
It is unfortunately. This is the ox tongue, ox bristly ox tongue. Yes, that's it. I guess that's yeah, is, is the bristly ox's tongue. Yeah. Um, but they're so bristly. spiky. Yeah. I think that's another reason why I really don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's painful. So we are along. Is this a blackthorn hedge? Yeah, this is a blackthorn hedge, but it's got some field maple and some hawthorn oh, yeah. in there as well. It's just the blackthorns really dominated this one. But it has created like a really nice thick structure, um, which is what we try and do with the hedgerows. These seem to be very dense, wide hedgerows. Yeah. Um, quite noticeably. Yeah. They've not been shorn to, to like crew cut hedgerows that I see so often. No. In my native Somerset, it's a short back and sides and then they get very gappy. This is really thick and... Well, it's kind of if you overcut them, it does actually stress the hedgerows out. You can't leave them to just turn into a tree line. Mm. I think because a lot of hedges they've been managed for so long on an annual basis and kept so small, they almost get knots in them and they don't grow strong vegetation mm. beyond the point that they almost get trunky to the point they're cut every year and then you get a few twigs. It's like, why should I bother it? throwing these twigs up when they're just going to come and flail me down again? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, this is lovely. Um, so you've got some tall, taller trees. And that's, is that, that's that field maple. Field maple, the taller one here. Yeah. So this yeah. was planted actually. Just going yellow. Really, just at the end of the ownership of the last, uh, before RSPB's ownership of Hope Farm, I think. This... This hedgerow. this hedgerow was planted then, so it's not an old hedgerow. No, oh, okay. no, this is only about 20 years old. Oh, okay, that's um, really impressive. Yeah, it's grown up really well, and it's just it's got a good diversity of species that it flowers as well from March with the hawthorn, and you've got the um, blackthorn, sorry, then you have the hawthorn in May. Um, it hasn't actually got much bramble in it, which is quite interesting, but then we have bramble really not far from here that will be flowering all the way through mm. so this and is good for a whole range of i mean presumably it's good for your farmland birds they nest yeah. in here don't they yeah it's, it's good for loads of things though because you've got and you have wildflower margins that they're great for pollinators but this can be great for pollinators it can be great for hibernating insects mm. um i mean this has been mown here so it hasn't got the long vegetation but we try grassy vegetation so this is a I'm, I'm just to describe this it's a big thick hedge then a grass um, margin which is probably 25 feet across well, yeah. Five, yeah this is a six meter margin six meters okay and then then you've got your field yeah, yeah so it's um, probably in high summer this is absolutely buzzing is it yeah, yeah. And it's sheltered I as have well to return. <laughs> so you've got the yeah. sun on it it's south facing yeah. it's sheltered from the wind, so this is a per I mean, there's still quite there's a lot, lot of insects, insects around yeah, here yeah, now, actually. Yeah. Um, but we just try and create that sort of soft margin from hedge to long vegetation to field because mm. it's in that base where you have it a little bit here where you've got some blackthorn suckers and then the tall grassy bits where things can hide and hunker down more. Yeah, and it's in those sort of tussocks of the grass where you'll get beetles and things hibernating, and then as it gets all much thicker in the summer that's where yellow hammers will like to nest and grey partridge in these little edgy edgy areas yeah, yeah. fantastic okay cool There's... so you've laid it over here yeah this one's laid that's um, that's hawthorn is it the, the, the it's, more like it's a real mixture so that right. it's 
It is mostly hawthorn, but there's some blackthorn in it. And there's actually some wayfaring trees, some field maple. Uh, and this was only laid in January last year. And it's already growing upwards with loads of suckers mm. from the points that it's been cut. Um, I was going to ask you, um, like most farmers I meet, not all, but most farmers I meet are that sort of older men. Mm. How do you find it as a young woman farming? Um, it's... Oh, I feel really lucky that it... Hmm. How do I find it? I've been asked this before, but I, it's really hard to to explain it. It's I mean, I really, from a farming family. So yeah. Does that, does that help? Does uh, that definitely. Sort of, does that give you sort of more? I, I suppose it's not a credibility thing. It's more like it's just not as commonly seen in the British country. It's very, no. very sort of male-dominated farming. So, do you ever encounter? Some sort of the good, the bad, and the ugly, I suppose. I think people notice that it is different. Mm. They say, oh, so, yeah, you're 25 female, 25 year old female running, yeah, or managing Hope Farm. I'm really glad I've been given the opportunity to do it. And it's really brilliant when you're out in the field talking, and sometimes when we have had a farmer group come here. You'll look around and there'll be like, I don't know, eight farmers, one of which is a female, the wife of one of the other farmers. I still don't feel like there's any um, lack of respect for what you're saying or lack of trusting in what you're saying. Um, and it does, it's still really good having this sort of two-way dialogue. And yeah, it is appreciated that they do still, when you're talking about stuff and suggesting things, and they're sharing their experience as well. It is on a one-on-one -on -one level. On a level, yeah, yeah. that's good. Which is great, because it could so easily not be. I mean, that's not always the case. Yeah. Sometimes you do always get the odd person where it's like, oh. Go and get the farmer then. Yeah. <laughs> or, oh, so who's the manager here? Like, that's me, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That must um, be quite a pleasure to say I that. quite enjoy saying that. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds funny, but it does help that you say, when they ask if you come from a farming background and you say, yes, that does make it easier, yeah. which it shouldn't, because I think on the wildlife management, like there are probably other people in the organisation who have more expertise than me, because I ask them for advice and yeah, things. Yeah, it's getting that blend, I suppose. So, like, when you're trying to think about... Or when we're looking at soil health, it's you can't expect all soil to be like a peaty Cambridgeshire Fenland sort of twelve percent organic matter and I see. Fine yeah. crumbly. They're just yeah, not all soils are like that and it's silly to try and force it all under the same bracket. But if you just look at old grassland or under a hedgerow and what that structure's like, that gives you a good <coughs> indication of how good it can be. Um, so Georgie is wielding a, a very narrow spade to dig out. It's a bit of a lady's spade. <laughs> I, I thought it was a special kind of sample cutter. Let's call it a special sample cutter. Okay, we'll call that. Or as a lady's spade. <laughs> <laughs> it's proper digging with both feet. 
into the hard clay ground. Yeah. This is where being a bit heavier might. Oh, there we go. We've got a sweet spot now. If I do three it's sides. It's satisfying once you get it. If I do three sides of the square, then you can sort of lever it out. So out it comes. It's got a little grassy. And you've got, I mean, just along the top here, you've got this layer of vegetation. And you might as well have a look at this as it's here. There's all sorts of stuff, can be, you can still see stuff flying off of it. Mm. Yeah, so this is kind of grass, clover, vetch, is that, what's that? Um, yeah, yeah, so this is a pollen and nectar margin, which is getting a bit old now. There's a bit of rabbit poo in there as well. Um, it's getting a bit old, so grasses are taking over a little bit, but there are still the clovers in there. And all this tiny slug there but there's loads of spaces for things to just hunker down for winter even though it's been cut and then we go to this side this is the underneath yeah and this kind of shows the soil profile a worm. brilliant oh, no, it's the not. beetle it's a larvae beetle yeah little brown head white body and little legs little biter yeah. um and you've got all of these lines that are going through and all of these cracks if you break it up sort of vertical and different angles. Mm, all the roots. And it's actually hold to, held together, not through compaction, but by the root systems. Mm. Yeah, it's really oh. solid mesh. Yeah. Ooh, that's, I don't even know what that is. Some sort of beetle larvae. Oh uh, yeah. But then it's almost got like a strange casing on the top. It's got little um, antennae. Yeah, that's really odd. Look at him. Wow. It looks like he's almost got the beginnings of oh, wings he, on it, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah. This is where he's going into pupation or coming out of something. He kind of looks like an in-between stage, doesn't yeah. he? We'll pop him down there the mystery, anyway. Mystery monster from the deep. <laughs> and it is, it's quite dry at the moment, but there is still a bit of moisture in there. So this is quite a claggy clay soil here. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's quite heavy clay and it's quite dark and rich. There's another beetle larvae here. There's a lot of stuff in this soil. Yeah. You wouldn't imagine, until you break it up, there's a little there's snail or something there, isn't there? Might, there might just be the shell there. Yeah, just yeah, it's just the shell, but there was a snail it's once. crawling with cr critters. Oh, yeah. A little something. There's loads of little guys like that rooting around in it. And where the soil isn't disturbed here and hasn't been cultivated loads, it's meant that that ecosystem below ground has managed to stay intact. So if, I mean, if you see a whole woodland that's been mashed up and put through a wood chipper, you don't expect to find any woodland life in it. And it's kind of the same if you cultivate a field. Yeah. Um, if you turn, turn the, if, if you plough a field, you destroy all the worm burrows. And... Yeah, exactly. You destroy the worm burrows, the mycorrhizal fungal like, networks that run through them and they are sort of a nutrient, a way of accessing nutrients for the plants as well. They're destroyed. Mm. And it takes quite a few years to, to build up. But it's amazing how quickly life does recover. If you leave ground uncultivated for a couple of years, it'll soon, you'll soon get worms back and everything back again. That's really reassuring, actually. So we, we can 
reverse some of the damage we've done. Oh, if, we, if we care. Yeah, if we yeah. Just, if we want to. I mean, you saw going around the farm here, we've still had to cultivate quite a few fields mm. to get rid of some compaction. But if we try and do that less frequently and only do it when we need to, we're still providing habitat on the much larger area of the farm yeah. than if we just straight up ploughed it all every year. There is something you can do where you can actually like smell what the soil's like, but I think with it not being, with it being quite dry, you probably won't. My sense of smell is quite bad. It has still got that sort of live... Oh no, I can smell that. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's like a... That has actually got a really nice smell to it. It's, it you can mm, sort of almost smell really the greenness good. with it, can't yeah, you? Yeah, yeah, there's a real rich... Like a wine connoisseur would enjoy that. Exactly. The terroir. Terroir, I can't say it. I won't make you smell that stuff over there because it will smell the of chicken, chicken poo. Chicken. <laughs> I've kept chickens, I know that smell. <laughs> Maybe it's just the smell of childhood. Lying on the grass, mm. rolling around, making mud pies. Smell of nostalgia. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. yeah everyone likes a bit of nostalgia. You can see this is quite different. Yeah. Um, it's much looser. It has just been cultivated this autumn. Yeah. Um, this is, this is a, from a freshly cultivated field. There's no yeah. cover crop on it. It's no. And it's actually... I, and this is the thing as well. You have to bear in mind that this is going to be different. We're not going... This field isn't going to have the same soil exactly as long-term grass pasture, but you just want to get it as close to it. Um, I'll find some bad soil. Okay. somewhere to show you what that looks like um, and this is really crumbly it's breaking up in different directions which is a good thing that is a good thing you don't want soil that it's going to smell it <laughs> you can give it a it's much damper it doesn't have the same smell to it's it no it hasn't it's not as rich it's, no it's a much more subdued it's not unpleasant but it's not filling it's not filling your nostrils with the smell, no. is it? But the trouble with it being really loose like this is at the moment you could plant something in this, you could let the top weather and get a fine tilt, but then as soon as... Oh, it's a tooth. Oh, it could be a pot. It's a bit pot. Hmm. I don't know how that got there. I wonder how old that is. I bet that could be really old. Um, I was just saying that even though this is quite nice and you could sort of plant plant something in that. There's no beetle larva or anything? No, there's no, there, there's a slug. Okay. Um, but I mean, that's not ideal wildlife. Um, and it's got no resilience to it. It's broken up into yeah. just crumbs. So if you run a tractor or something over it, that. it would soon compact. That's into, something. Oh, that is something, isn't it? <laughs> Sounds more excited than stuff. Yeah. That does not look like a flint. That's man-made or human-made. Yeah. It's a button, I think. It may even be plastic. Or an ancient <laughs> Roman button. Although it's got a sort of swirl on it's it. It's definitely an ancient Roman button. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I think it's metal. It's washing. Yeah, I think it's metal. It's probably. Ooh. It's got a groove down the side. See this lady? Stuff. There's do. no wildlife, but there's much no. more interesting archaeological bits yeah. in this soil. 
there is due to the management. Yeah, 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 yeah. You've really encouraged the archaeology to come yeah. on really well. <laughs> that's there great. Go. Really good. That's that's your soil lesson. Yeah, yeah. So you have obviously got some stats yes. of increases in in wildlife. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of you know bird life? Obviously, is the easy to see. We've seen lots of linnets. Yeah, but then they, linnets, they are a hugely declining species in the UK. Like when we bought the farm, we have monitoring that we've done every year um, since we bought the farm and there weren't any linnets on the first winter farmland bird count. None on this None. farm? No. Okay, that's um, interesting because we've seen several hundred today. Yes, and that's kind of well, that's quite typical. Um, like there were two yellow hammers, I think was the maximum count in 2000, 2001 winter, and the highest count we've had was over seven hundred in twenty sixteen. Seven hundred, and that's in in winter. So you're yeah. you're that's not how many are breeding here. You're drawing no. them in from far no. and wide. With I think the that's great. breeding so. territories of increase from sort of low tens to nearly 30 territories of yellow hammers and it's that trend is typical of nearly all the farmland bird species that we have here so we don't have such a large increase in our breeding birds as we do our wintering birds but then when a lack of winter food is one of the key reasons for farmland bird decline and there's loads of winter food here so you're providing a sort of reservoir of food for a lot of neighbouring yeah. farmland. Yeah. That's the that's the hope. And then they can go out when having reasonable hedgerows and bits of grass and stuff is enough for them to survive out in the rest of the landscape over summer. They can then go out and breed on neighbouring farms in the wider landscape. Okay, so you're doing a favour to all your neighbours here. That's what I feel. Yeah. What about skylarks then? Are they um, so they were they've increased again both in the winter and the summer, and we did actually first trial the skylark plots here at Hope Farm. Oh, what well, the little square? Well, not so yeah. little, but the squares that you leave in arable fields. Yeah, the Is that four trial by four here then? Okay. Yeah, and we trialed different densities, looked at nesting success, and how many territories there were. And just by leaving those two of those four metres by four metres square patches in winter cereals, the average sort of, or the productivity of birds in later season increases by 250%. Um, and over the whole season, you increase the breeding success of skylarks by, I think it was 50%. In total, literally just by leaving square pot slots, which cost about six pounds per square to put in. And it's just bare, bare ground, basically. Yeah. yeah, literally just either leaving something undrilled or going out with the quad bike and spraying out these plots in December. So you might actually spray a bit of herbicide or something just to just to keep a, keep the plot open. Yeah. Herbicide helps skylarks. I know it's strange, isn't yeah. it? It's, I find it really tricky that it's still not just a standard full stop. Yeah. 
It should um, be in every every arable field. Should have them. Yeah, because it costs next to nothing. So that's it from Cambridgeshire for this episode. Really inspiring, fantastic. What a story. What a hero Georgie is. I have to absolutely take my hat off to her. I was sniffing the soil and appreciating the importance of protecting our soil more than ever before. So a lesson learned for me. You can find out more about Hope Farm at the RSPB's website, rspb.org.uk. Thank you also to Anna Feeney from the RSPB for setting up this wonderful day. Hope you've enjoyed it. Please do email me, editor at countryfile.com. Always love to hear your comments. And please, please do leave feedback and ratings on whatever podcast provider you use. It's a huge help to us. Thanks for listening and goodbye for now.